and greetings. Thank you so much for joining us today right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. This is Ellen Kamai, The Natural Nurse, and I'm so happy that you're with us today. You can always find us at naturalnurse.com. And at naturalnurse.com, we have all kinds of events that are coming your way, such as classes and workshops. And very exciting is we're about to start up with the new year, a whole plethora of new classes, including the Natural Nurse Herbal Certification course. And with that class, you can actually take a series of classes that leads to a certification. If you have some kind of license, like if you are a nurse or a nurse practitioner, a licensed massage therapist, a registered dietitian or a clinical nutritionist, or a licensed massage therapist or an acupuncturist, you can receive 18 CEU credits towards your licensure. Um, and if you are not a licensed professional, you can take the class just either for your own information or if you're interested on, in working to become an RH. An RH is a registered herbalist. And registered herbalists are widely recognized as highly qualified herbalists and often work um, as a clinical herbalist with clients or working with various companies, such as nutraceutical companies, helping to educate or design nutritional supplements. So either way, it's, it's a wonderful class to take. That is called the Natural Nurse Herbal Certification Course. It is being sponsored through the Florida School of Holistic Living, and we'll have it listed on our website as well at naturalnurse.com. We also have a plethora of information there, including shows like today's shows. We have oh, probably close to a thousand different things that are now called podcasts because we've been doing them so long. They used to be called radio shows when we started doing these in uh, the 1980s. And yet we have all of them now online. So you can actually go to naturalnurse.com and you can look at education for more information about how you can learn all kinds of protocols in natural medicine to use for yourself and your family. You can look at our books. Dr. Zamperone, my co-host and myself, have written 16 books in depth on such topics as arthritis and pain relief, which we're going to be talking about today, as well as cycles of life, herbs for women, the natural guide to great sex, weight loss, the alternative medicine definitive guide that always sells a lot, especially this time of year, right after the new year, when everybody's, you know, saying they're going to make New Year's resolutions. And I want to thank all our listeners for the many years they have been listening to us right here here on prn.fm progressive radio network dr z and i are so happy to be part of the prn family today we are pleased to bring on board our guest dr joseph pergolizzi he's an md and he is the head of a company called healthy directions Dr. Pergolisi is an internationally renowned perioperative and pain specialist, well-versed in multiple issues confronting patients and caregivers. 
in acute and chronic pain. He runs a highly regarded pain center in Naples, Florida, and is chairman of the Abstract and Poster Selection Committee for Pain Week and is a member of the Change Pain Board. Additionally, he has been awarded the American Medical Association Physician Recognition Award with accommodations. And you can find him at drpergolizzi.com. Um, we'll have, rather than spell all that out, we will have a live link on our archive, which is always posted shortly after our show every week. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Joe. Oh, Ellen, it is my uh, privilege and uh, congratulations to you and Dr. Z on all the wonderful information that you guys have been creating over the years. Um, yeah, we've been really involved in natural medicine, I would say since 1964. And how I came to natural medicine was I had a very, very severe injury that did involve pain. I fell off a horse. I was a horseback riding instructor. And when I fell off the horse, I really could not walk anymore. And I was taken to a surgeon who said that the only way I could ever think about walking again was that I was going to need back surgery. But I got what I would say is like a spiritual intuition and Dr. Pergolisi, I think you might be old enough to remember the card catalog in the library. Yes. <laughs> yeah, not everybody does, but you and I remember. Well, in the card catalog, I actually just looked up, believe it or not, natural remedies that might be useful for pain. And I got so much information there. And luckily, I had a wonderful father who only passed away recently. He's always, you know, supported my my beliefs. And he actually wrote checks because there was no internet. There were no credit cards. No credit cards existed. <laughs> yep. He actually wrote me little checks as part of my allowance because I was a kid. And we mailed it off to all these things like Dr. Bernard Jensen, who was talking about castor oil packs and places that were using various supplements like calcium and magnesium and herbs like horsetail grass, which is very high in silica. And I started using all of those things. And with each thing I tried, I noticed that my back felt a little better. And by the next time I went to the surgeon, I did, I was not wheeled in, I walked in with this long list of what I had used. And I still had back pain, but a lot better. So I thought, oh, he's going to be so excited to see this list. But instead, I think he was quite horrified that I walked in because, you know, <laughs> he's a surgeon and like now one less surgery. But that really put me on my path towards investigating, writing books about, and even teaching in medical schools and at pharmacy schools, you know, in these later years, after I got all my degrees and they would allow me to teach, um, about the fact that there is so much we can do for pain. And I think that's a lot of what your work has focused on as well. Well, I have to say this. What a beautiful story about taking lemons and making lemonade and then putting that lemonade out there so that everyone would benefit from it. And the sense that a lot of people do not have that visceral fortitude that you displayed, Ellen. So I congratulate you. And then to go a step further and think about others besides yourself and spread that learning is very important. 
So I congratulate you on that. And now if we look at complementary alternative medicine, there was a very pivotal study that came out in 2000 out of Harvard Medical School that showed more individuals were willing to go to complementary alternative medicine providers and try natural products than they were willing to go to see their primary care doctor who was already paid for via their insurance. So people vote with their wallet and their heart and their minds, and they do want to know more about natural medicine. And that started a real big movement, what allopathic doctors, MDs like myself call integrative medicine, where we get to work with individuals who know all these other things, things that we probably were exposed to in medical school, but not to the level that we have exposure related to pharmacology or surgical procedures. And so this really has benefited the overall patient and the consumer, because when you're not in the office of a doctor or a healthcare provider, you're a consumer. And self-medication is a real important thing that we have a handle on. You know, what do we take? When do we take it? And even more important in the age now of the internet is to get valid information because a lot of other information out there uh, may be more anecdotal or opinionated. So the fact that you're out there giving this type of assurance to individuals is really encouraging. Um, and I could tell you that as a as what we call a tertiary care physician. That means that I take care of, uh, you know, very uh, highly specialized uh, patients, particularly pain patients. And it's so good to see that my patients are able to find valid information to help them better understand how they can help themselves from a self-medication or supplement um, natural product standpoint. Well, tell us again what that means, because I bet not everyone's familiar with that term tertiary care, Dr. Pergolos, Lisa. Yeah, sure. That's a great question, Ellen. If you get sick, um, you'll usually go to a primary care doctor and your family doctor or your internist, or if, if you so seek a OBGYN. And then if that person can't figure it out or needs some help, they'll usually get you a consultant to come in. So if we take pain as an example, because pain is the number one reason why people seek medical care worldwide, then you can uh, start to ask yourself, all right, um, my, my doctor who I know and love uh, is not able to take to fully understand or help me uh, with this situation. So they're going to ask me to, let's say, see a rheumatologist because we think it might be arthritis. And I see Dr. Z had spoken, uh, has written about arthritis. So maybe it's rheumatoid arthritis. So go to a rheumatologist and the rheumatologist will look at you as a secondary uh, care provider. And if the rheumatologist needs more help, and, or if you're a very complex patient, let's say you have diabetes and asthma and this rheumatology problem, they may reach out to someone like me 
because I have more time to spend with the patient and I'll be trying to help manage all of those issues uh, in the same plane uh, so that if we come up with a pain management strategy, it takes into account all the other drugs or therapies or supplements that you are uh, using so that you can avoid things like drug interactions and side effects as best as we can. And we get a very individualized pain management regimen that is in align with uh, the total person. So that's what a tertiary care doctor is. And a lot of times we then will help uh, provide guidance to the secondary referral and to the primary care. So we don't usually see the patients for a long time uh, because our job is to come in and, and problem solve and help create that blueprint for a personalized individual pain management program. I hope that well, I think that's yeah, that's excellent because you used the word um, and, and I guess we'll call you Dr. Joe. Does that work yes. for you? It's easier, yes, right? Than Pergolisi. Yeah, but is. you used a very important term, which is integrative care. And I really think, you know, that should just be good medicine because we don't want to throw out pharmaceuticals or surgery. It's absolutely necessary. And I've seen people all the way on the other side who say, I'm only using natural. I will never do any pharmaceutical or surgery, but that is not necessarily to their benefit in the big picture. So I think having someone like you who could say, okay, let's look at diet and exercise and see how far we can go. Let's look at herbs. Let's do a test, which I actually think should be part of mainstream. I think everyone should have a nutrient analysis done every few years, because sometimes something simple like a magnesium deficiency could be part of the pain problem because it interferes with nerve signaling. And a simple looking at the magnesium level, you might go, oh, this person should get magnesium and let's increase foods that have it. Or let's, you know, try a supplement and retest in three months and see how, because there's so much we can do bringing that all together. I agree 100%. And I'll give a call out to a group that I'm really excited about called Vibrance Health with Dr. Claire. Dr. Darren Claire is a graduate of Columbia Medical School, where I know you've, you've lectured and taught before, uh, has, has done this. He's an anesthesiologist that's dedicated a lot of his life to this holistic integrative approach. And you're right. How can you expect someone to get better and improve their functionality and activities of daily living if we don't take care of the patient as a whole? And, and that's important to realize because when we start to think about some of the unusual sources, let's say, of muscle pain, they, they include things that we deal with every day, like stress and dehydration and not getting enough proper nutrition and, you know, the lack of sleep, all those things, Ellen, I know you've written about and you lecture about. 
That's true. Now, on the other end, just so we have a balanced approach, um, of course, in terms of pain management and you being so involved with that, Dr. Joe, and the whole opiate situation, you know, opiates do help pain. And I found now because the laws are moving the other way and the restrictions on health professionals to even recommend um opiates is going so far the other way that sometimes people really don't have the relief that they need when things are severe. That's a good point, Alan. And that's why I've always adopted a multimodal therapy approach. So what I mean by that is the combination of pharmacological and non-pharmacological remedies, because no one drug works 100% of the time for 100% of the patients without any type of side effect. And you're right, in certain patients, particularly when I see cancer patients who have a lot of pain, uh, these class of medications will be helpful. And in others, it may be a combination that we use. And it's not uncommon that we'll use some type of methodical approach like the World Health Organization stepladder to test different types of of pharmacological agents in a stepwise manner to see if we can find the right one that works for our patient. But if we do it just in the isolation of looking at it from pharmacology, we're missing out because there are other things there's one concept I really like that Dr. Stephen Sinatra talks about, and I, and I encourage my patients as well, and that's called grounding. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, Ellen. Well, you know, it used to be called like walking on the dirt. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Then we had, a, we had to make it a little more uh, sexy and scientific. So, yeah, so, you know, for the audience, grounding is just what Ellen said. Take your shoes off. Take your socks off and go stretch out your feet while you're walking around and just connect. And, you know, believe it or not, there's a lot to it. We probably could spend a whole show on talking about uh, foot massages and Chinese uh, traditional Chinese medicine and acupressure points on the foot. But really what it does is it, it sort of grounds you from the sense that once you start to think about what's going on, whether it's the pain or the related stress and anxiety related to pain, then you get in that zone and you're, you're, you're focusing on trying to get better. And there's a lot of, 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 you know, belief that you're reconnecting. And that's very important, particularly nowadays when we're super connected, uh, you know, with our electronic footprint our cell phones, our televisions, our cars that talk to us and even park for us, uh, all of these different things, Alan. And we may forget about the, the natural holistic ways that can be helpful. And if you bring that back to pain, I could tell you that um, there are some effective ways to relieve muscle pain on your own that does not involve taking pills or seeing a doctor. And just think about these. Pain relieving exercises, and and this could be <clears throat> either, uh, you know, doing things like yoga or Pilates, 
or even massage therapy in a sense, guided massage therapy, stretch breaks. I bet you've been on the radio early this morning. And if not, you were at least preparing for the show and you probably need a stretch break. You know, we, we, we should take stretch breaks. Even think during baseball games, we have that, that, what is it? The seventh inning stretch. It's good to take stretch breaks and don't forget natural topical pain relievers, because most people, when they think about pain, they automatically run to reach for an over-the-counter pain pill. But those labels tell you that there are limits to the amount of medication you can take, and there are related side effects. But topicals, they, they really, they go beyond that in the sense that joints that are close to the skin surface, such as the knee and the elbows, they can absorb topical pain relievers relatively quickly and show positive effects faster than most oral pain relievers. Also, you can use another dose much more quickly than you can take a second dose of most oral pain relievers. So we have to think about what our alternatives are. And, and topical pain relievers are a good option for muscle skeletal type pain, particularly those at the surface. So that is a great suggestion. And I want to tell people that you are listening to The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. You can always catch us at naturalnurse.com and also at prn.fm. They will archive these shows. And there you'll be able to find a link to Dr. Pergolizzi, our guest today at drpergolizzi.com. And also you can maybe more easily Google healthy directions. That's all one word, healthy directions. Now, what we're going to do now, um, Dr. Joe, is we are going to take a short break. We're going to have one of our natural medicine chests featured. And when we come back, we will be continuing our discussion about addressing unexplained aches and pains. And we will definitely delve back into topical application for pain relief. We will be right back with more right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. On this edition of The Natural Medicine Chest, we'll discuss jojoba, the miracle plant of the desert. Jojoba is spelled J-O-J-O-B-A, but is pronounced according to its Spanish origins. The jojoba plant grows in the American Southwest and the Sonoran Desert in Mexico. The jojoba is a large bush-like plant resembling mistletoe. It can reach a height of 15 feet and can live from 100 to 200 years. The Sonoran Indians have used the oil pressed from the jojoba beans for centuries. Father Juniper Serra, founder of 21 missions in California, noted in the early 1700s that the local Indians were using jojoba oil for treating sores, cuts, bruises, burns, and as a diet supplement to soothe skin from sun and wind burns as a cooking oil and even as a beverage. The importance of jojoba as a cash crop was proclaimed in 1935. 
But it was not until 1974, when the killing of sperm whales was banned, that the government began to study jojoba oil in depth as a substitute for whale oil. The National Academy of Sciences concluded jojoba oil has a radically different chemical structure than any other known oil. Most oils break down or turn rancid. Jojoba, on the other hand, is hypoallergenic, non-toxic, never turns rancid, and does not break down even under high temperature and pressure. The University of California at Riverside did a study where they cooked 27 batches of popcorn in the same heated jojoba oil. The last batch was just as perfect as the first. These unusual properties are unique to jojoba oil because, chemically speaking, jojoba oil is not really an oil at all, but is a liquid wax. Its composition is almost identical to sebum, which is the oil secreted by human sebaceous glands to help to protect the skin from the environment. Jojoba has a myriad of usages. The cosmetic industry takes advantage of its compatibility to human skin by adding it to shampoos, conditioners, moisturizers, and many other cosmetic products. In medicine, jojoba can be used directly on rashes, cuts, and psoriasis. It may also be used as a lubricant for artificial hearts. Jojoba contains a natural appetite suppressant, which can be used in weight loss products. It has no known side effects. In industry, jojoba is known to be a superior engine lubricant and will cause a car to run 20 to 30 degrees cooler when added to the crankcase oil. So, if you are interested in a miracle plant from the desert, reach for jojoba in your natural medicine chest. And welcome back to more of the Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. And this is Ellen Kamai, the natural nurse, hoping that you are enjoying your day and that you're happy to be with us as we are happy to be with you. And our guest today is Dr. Joseph Pergolesi. You can find him at drpergolesi.com and also at Healthy Directions. Just tell us what what is Healthy Directions and, and what is your association with them, Dr. Joe? Certainly, uh, Ellen. Well, Healthy Directions is a independent company that has been uh, helping uh, consumers better navigate the natural product channel for a number of years. And they are uh, the manufacturers and sponsors of various types of products that uniquely are positioned in the market because they have ambassadors like myself, doctors of MD or naturopathy and other specialties um, promoting their products and creating their products so that there is a uh, opportunity for consumers to have the highest quality of products, not just from the manufacturing standpoint, but from the pedigree of the product related to information and data to substantiate uh, their use. And that's very important because, again, it's all about having uh, validated information when we make decisions as consumers. Because as a consumer, we have to always worry about health literacy. And health literacy is different than being, let's say, illiterate. I'll give you an example. If for some unfortunate reason, I would get 
some type of skin cancer. I'm not a dermatologist. So I wouldn't know a heck of a lot about that. So I would have to either go and, and read about it or I'd have to go to a dermatologist or a dermatologist that's an oncologist. And so even though I have an MD degree and I have 400 plus papers and books and all of these wonderful things related to the specialty that I'm involved in, I wouldn't know much about it. So I would be considered health illiterate. And that's a big thing to understand. That's why having the option of uh, products that are manufactured under good manufacturing principles and also having um, products that are vetted by known uh, subject matter experts and key opinion leaders uh, is of value to the consumer. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now, how did you become a doctor in the first place, Dr. Joe? <laughs> Great question, Ellen. Uh, you know, I started off in the very basic sciences in chemistry, a specific type of chemistry called physical chemistry. And then I took that into some preliminary drug development. And in the process of doing drug development, I realized that there is a real unique opportunity by having my background and being a physician, a doctor, so that I can help patients and at the same time, maybe bring innovation to the space. And medicine is always evolving. And so that was the excitement for me. It gave me an opportunity to help people, to be frontline, and to take that scientific interest that I have in order to try to better the entire process. And that's what I've been trying to do for the last uh, 35 years. Well, that's wonderful because you took an interest of yours and then allowed that to progress to something that's fulfilling because you really help people. Well, thank you, Helen. And, you know, Ellen, that's what it's really all about. I mean, understanding how to help more people is really what I try to teach my students and my fellows, etc. Because there's only so much you can do when it's if you can publish papers, create medical devices, uh, develop drugs, or genetics, cosmetics, natural foods, uh, this can help a lot more people. And it is a really good use of your uh, skills and your talent. And that's what I've been trying to do and encourage younger people uh, to do it as well. Well, something that I have a note on your paper is something called 50 Shades of Pain. <laughs> yes. What is that about? Well, that's a that's a term. It's a book that I'm in the process of writing. Oh, we'll have to have you back when it's done. <laughs> Make sure you remind me. Well, you're too kind, Ellen. Yes. You know, how often do I get a patient or a family member a lot of, of the loved one come in and, and ask me, you know, why is it that my self or my loved one is experiencing this pain different than what I might read on the internet, or maybe that is considered classical presentation. And so what I've learned as a tertiary care physician is that, you know, pain is very personalized. It's very subjective. 
It's not like having a high or low cholesterol level, right? You go to the doctor, they test your blood, your cholesterol is either normal or it's not. And then you treat accordingly, hopefully with natural products first and diet and exercise and so forth. With pain, it's very individualized. And this makes it difficult because what I might experience as a, a very severe pain, the same pain you might classify as mild or moderate. And what we find is that it comes in these, quote, 50 shades. And that's important because when we start to think about just basic breakdown of pain, we have to realize that if we take two buckets, one is acute pain and one is chronic pain. Acute pain happens quickly and goes away when there is no cause anymore. But chronic pain lasts longer than six months and can continue when the injury or illness has been treated and has actually gone away. So you're left with this chronic type of condition. And chronic pain can be associated with other disease states, what we call comorbidities. An example of this is diabetes. Progressive diabetes can result in pain in the hands and feet of the nerves, the small nerve fibers. We call that peripheral neuropathy, so that these people have either lost sensation in their hands and feet, or they have very bad pain. And another comorbidity is stress and depression. That happens about 30% of the time in chronic pain patients. Also, chronic pain can come from other types of scenarios. I'll give you an example which might resonate with the audience. Viruses. Well, of course, once I say that, everyone thinks about this horrible pandemic caused by COVID-19. And we could talk about that in a well, minute. Well, that, that is a definitely a good topic, Dr. Joe. Let's, let's bring that in. As okay. a health provider sure. that's been so involved both in public health and in writing for so many years, what kind of extra stresses or changes did you see because of the current pandemic? And I say current because we're a few years into it, but it seems to, you know, be still hanging on. Really good question. You know, you bring up a great point on, on all facets. You know, what I have seen is uh, an increase in patients reporting and experiencing pain since the start of COVID-19 pandemic. And when the body is affected by a virus, the immune system works to fight the infection. This fight could lead you to feel muscle inflammation and weakness. And the medical term for the audience, as you know, Ellen, but the medical term is called myositis, muscle inflammation and weakness, or joint and muscle pain, which we call myalgia. So I know it's an early morning uh, show, but there's at least two, two medical terms we could put out there, myositis and myalgia. And that's just simply muscle inflammation and weakness or joint and muscle pain. And what we know is that acute viral myositis is a rare condition that occurs during the recovery phase of an illness, most commonly influenza. And it's characterized by muscle pain and weakness. And sometimes 
isolated laboratory changes in your blood. Now, infectious or post-infectious reactive myositis. Again, a lot of fancy words, but big words there, but I love them. (laughs) Big words, but it just means you got the virus and now afterwards you still have pain. This can occur during or sometimes after the viral infection. And even after the virus is gone, the immune system may cause inflammation in some parts of your body for a few months. And the symptoms are similar to having broad muscle pain and weakness. And so if we then go back to what I mentioned before, those unusual sources of muscle pain, well, think about it. You get COVID, you're very stressed out. You're very scared. Everybody's scared. And you're probably not eating right. So your nutrition's on the weekend. You're, you could be dehydrated. I mean, I can't say enough about drinking enough fluids, particularly. Well, water. well, yeah. And you can tell us to do that. Great idea. That's right. Yes. And then sleep. If the anxiety and the pain doesn't get to you, you know, there's a lot of other reasons probably why you're not sleeping. Um, even if you didn't get COVID, a lot of people have been affected from the anxiety level. So what I've seen and what I've published and what my colleagues are also seeing is that, in fact, there's an increase in this type of increased inflammation. And we believe there are different reasons for that. The audience probably has heard these terms and they don't necessarily need to know them, but they should hear them. Things like cytokine storm. Uh, yeah, that's a, that actually made the news. One of the things that was very big in the natural product industry that became linked to that incorrectly, I would add, is um, Sambucus. Right. Because they claimed that Sambucus could create a cytokine storm, which actually it does influence white blood cells, but especially in the early part or preventative, no, there's no data showing that. Sambucus would do that. But perhaps in late stage disease, that's not the time to bring it out. And this brings out a great point that it's really important to have access to valid data. Do you know that the AMA last week brought in front of the House of Delegates for the American Medical Association, AMA, this campaign about addressing this disinformation? And, you know, whether it's right or wrong, it brings the point out that we need valid information. We need people like you and Dr. Z, and and I'd like to include myself in there, that are bringing valid information so that the consumer and or patient can make a more educated decision, particularly in light of this horrible issue called health literacy. So you brought up a great point there. And I could tell you this, People ask me, well, viruses, I mean, really, they can cause pain. And I think I just went through the muscle and joint part. Let me give you an example of nerve pain created by a virus. Well, it would probably be hard to find someone that did not experience chicken pox when they were younger. And chicken pox is due to a virus called the herpes varicella zoster virus. And this virus, um, when we have it as chickenpox, causes that rash and fever and, and symptoms that you have, and then it resolves. Unfortunately, the virus then goes dormant. It doesn't leave your body. 
It goes dormant and lives in your nerves. And as you get older, and if you become immunosuppressed or compromised, which can happen for a lot of reasons, right? Like stress uh, could happen from disease states like diabetes, or if you have cancer or have been given certain drugs, if your immune system becomes suppressed, that virus gets reactivated. And you probably uh, know this, and but the audience may have heard of shingles. So shingles is a very painful nerve problem related to the reactivation of that herpes varicella zoster virus. And that shingles is an acute breakout of these blisters and, and very painful type of process. And after that heals, some people, thankfully not a lot, but some people will have a chronic pain, a manifestation of that acute pain. And we call that post-hepatic neuralgia, PHN. So viruses definitely can affect your muscles, your joints, and your nerves. And then the other things that happen just generally when you're sick, like being stressed, not sleeping, dehydration, not eating well, that all compounds it. Well, a lot of people, of course, what they're hearing about in terms of shingles, not everything you talked about, it certainly can be painful, Dr. Joe, but they're really um, being told to get a vaccine for that as well. And that's where I see it talked about, let's say, on the news and mainstream. Right. They, they do have a vaccine and, you know, the vaccine's gotten better over time. And again, that vaccine is for that certain group of patients, uh, usually the older patients that might have reactivation of this virus. And so we have a vaccine that can be, we hopeful, preventive. And then we also have different type of treatments that we can give to patients. But shingles is very painful. And I feel for the patients who do experience it that, and it's important that they understand that, like with all other pain, there are options. We just have to get the right option for the patient. Well, one of the things that we have recommended for many clients who, in fact, did get a shingles outbreak is a combination of actually baking soda. And this I can just say on air, like you add a little bit of water and make a paste and put it right on the area, which gives some relief from that burning, but also specific homeopathics, in particular, thuja and also varicella. Varicella is a homeopathic made out of a varicella virus, but it's homeopathically prepared. And I've seen people have wonderful relief and clearing up of all the entire rash really quickly with that kind of combination therapy. So, you know, it's great to have a natural medicine chest prepared as well as understand what other therapeutics may be available. That's the integrated medicine multimodal approach. And you hit it right on the head, Ellen. Great job. Well, Dr. Joe, we're going to take another break right here. 
and allow our listeners to learn about um, more about PRN.FM, our hosting station this morning, as well as many other shows they have on here. And we will be right back and we'll be continuing our conversation with Dr. Joe Pergolese, who has been a wonderful guest here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. We'll be right back with more. We'd love to invite you to go to naturalnurse.com and sign up for our newsletter. All you have to do is do the drop down at the bottom of the front page at naturalnurse.com and it says sign up for newsletter. The only thing we ask for is your email, nothing else. And then you will get announcements of up and coming classes and workshops. Also, Go around on our website at naturalnurse.com because we literally have thousands of podcasts and it's searchable. So you can look up about any topic you want or any holistic practitioner. For instance, um, our guest today, Dr. Joseph Pergolese, mentioned Dr. Stephen Sinatra. He's been our guest, I don't know, over the last 25 years that we've been doing radio uh, several times. So all kinds of individuals and books and topics. And thank you so much for joining us. And Dr. Pergolisi, you did a couple times bring up topical care. And as a pain care specialist, you pointed out that actually these topicals, rather than just being local, would they also be, be considered transdermal so that they could travel inside the body besides just the local place that you put them? That's an excellent point. So if we look at skin, it's important to realize that skin does matter. Skin is the largest organ of the body. A lot of people don't realize that. They would say, oh, the liver or the heart. But skin's your largest organ of the body. And skin's very different. You know, it has multiple layers and it's protective, right? But at the same time, things can be absorbed through the skin. So if we, again, just bucket, take two buckets and say, what happens when we apply a medication to the skin and what are we trying to get out of it? Well, the first bucket would be those compounds, which are considered topical. The topical compounds are really meant to mainly stay in the skin and work at the area of the skin. The second group would be when we use the skin to get the drug into the body. When might we do that? Well, if there's a problem swallowing or if a drug goes into the body after it's swallowed and then has to be broken down or metabolized in the liver such that after the liver does what it needs to to the drug, it may not be working the same way that we would like it to if it didn't have to go through the liver. And there's a fancy term, again, for my, my student uh, customers and, and, and audience of yours. It's called first pass effect. That first pass going from your stomach into your blood system via the liver changes the drug. And sometimes we want to avoid that. So we may apply a drug to the skin so that it goes directly into the blood and avoids the liver. And by doing so, we don't have to worry about it getting broken down in that first pass. And that's where transdermal through the skin, transdermal delivery is. And a lot of times that's where certain types of patches are used. 
An example would be a nicoderm patch. You put the nicoderm patch behind your ear, and it's not because it's going to work on the skin behind your ear. It's because it's going to seep in to the receptors that are located in your brain around that area. Same thing with the motion sickness patch. You may take a motion sickness patch and put it back there, again, so that it gets absorbed by the body. So there's a difference between topical and transdermal. Now, sometimes the topical medication, some of it might seep into the body, but most of the time we're hoping it doesn't. And there's an advantage to that because let's say you have a bunch of medical problems. You have diabetes and asthma and high cholesterol and high blood pressure. It's not uncommon, unfortunately, for people to have these group of common disorders. And now you also get pain in your elbow because you were trying to play some tennis and overdid it. Well, here we want to just focus on those joints and muscles right at the elbow. We wouldn't want to really necessarily have that pain medication working all over the body. And one reason we'd be happy to do that is because once the drugs are all in the body, they have a chance to interact with each other. Like when we go to a social party, everybody's talking and doing different things, but they interact. And sometimes when those drugs interact, they can cause problems. We call that drug reactions. So when we think about topically applied pain medications, it's for those joints that are close to the skin surface, such as the knees and elbows. And here you can absorb the topical pain relievers relatively quickly and show positive effects faster than most oral pain relievers. Also, you can use another dose much quicker of the topical pain reliever, then you can take a second dose of most oral pain medications. So there's a lot of value. And I'll end with this, Ellen. We did a survey at pain week where I'm one of the chairmen, and we found that when we asked pain doctors how they would prefer to give a medication as a first line therapy, for muscle skeletal pain, they said they would prefer topical application. So it's really important to understand that that's what the pain community is advocating. And then it's up to the consumer when they see consumer health products to pick the right one. And, you know, they're showing all these commercials about it too. Like you see this guy dancing and, you know, he reaches for the topical rather than the uh, pill. And you're saying, according to your research, which is very high level, that that's a good thing to try because it has a lower incidence of drug-drug interaction, a lower incidence of any possible negative effects. And I think it's excellent. And actually, as an herbalist and natural healthcare practitioner, I really think topicals are not used enough. They've kind of fall to the wayside, even besides purchasing something already pre-made, learning like we talk about in our book, The Natural Medicine Chest and in Arthritis, The Alternative Medicine Definitive Guide, how to create your own ginger compress, for an example, that used to be widely used. Well, you're absolutely right. And I love the concept of ginger. Again, I've had the great luxury of lecturing and teaching all over the 
the globe, and uh, particularly in Asia and Asia Pacific regions where ginger is really got a lot of great opportunities for people. So yes, that is a perfect example. Is there a specific topical that you like, Dr. Joe, even if it has a brand name, I would still like to share it to our listeners since this is something you have researched in so much depth. Well, Ellen, thank you for the opportunity. Yes, I looked at the needs that we discussed earlier about that Harvard study where patients want natural products. They want them. And yet they also want the comfort of knowing that there is some legacy product that they can use so that they can combine both this multimodal strategy. So I created a product called Instaflex, whereby we put a natural oil in combination with a low dose of menthol. And we got an unexpected response that was fast pain relief and durable pain relief. And it was better than just menthol alone. So this allowed us to leverage a lot of the desire of having a natural product and using a lower dose of menthol so that you could, if necessary, if needed, put more applications on during the day because your overall exposure would be less, yet still get the same pain relief. And that's called Instaflex. And that is the product I teamed up with Healthy Directions to bring to the market. Oh, well, that's great information because it's something that people can safely try. And of course, you know, you have spoken here as um, we close our program out today, even with your high level of expertise and your deep involvement at what we will call mainstream medicine as a uh, pain control expert, but an integrative approach of looking at what's everything that we can do to help. How about changing our diet? How about taking a break like you talked about? Me personally, I, I only do, like I always tell myself and others, a 50-minute hour. So 10 minutes out of every hour I'm exercising. And how I do that is I keep a little mini trampoline right next to the computer and I'm just on that, you know, 10 minutes an hour, even if it's five minutes an hour, as well as doing yoga about um, half to half hour to an hour a day and a three mile walk. That's my exercise routine and some weights also right while I'm sitting, I'll do the weights. So you have to integrate exercise into your life where you just, you know, going to be in more pain. And also it's fun and it's addictive. It's addictive in a good way. Like you really want to do it after you do it for a while. Yes, I agree. You know, I, I can't say enough about that program you just mentioned. And, you know, it's a really a 360 approach at getting back to where you need to be. When pain affects your functionality and activities of daily living, it's going to have a negative outcome on you, on your perception of humanity, and the people who love and take care of you, too. So it's important to realize that there are options out there, topical pain relievers for those type of pains that are uh, at the joint surface, the skin surface is a real good option. And like you said, living a balanced life and a balanced approach at maintaining your health and wellness and well-being is really paramount, particularly in these very stressful days of the, of, as you said, the current pandemic. Oh. 
So I agree 100%. Um, and I have to say, Ellen, that I've had a great time on the show. I Me hope too. The Thank you. It. When Fifty Shades of Pain comes out, I will make sure we get you a copy of that. Sounds great. And thank you so much, Dr. Joe Pergolizzi. And thank you, listeners, for joining us once again right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. And from myself and my co-host, Dr. Eugene Zamperone, we're hoping that you stay healthy.